Hi, everyone. How's it going? All right. We are in the series called Practicing Resurrection. Last week, we talked about uh, this resurrection story of Jesus and the disciples, and the disciples are hiding in fear behind locked doors, and Jesus enters in, and we talked about this idea of what does it look like to practice resurrection, to practice the presence of Jesus in our lives, despite whatever locked doors we may be hiding behind, whatever fears, anxieties, uh, pressures, whatever is overwhelming us, what does it look like to know that the presence of Christ passes through those locked doors and is present to us? Uh, This morning, we're going to look at another resurrection story. This time, it's outside, not inside. It's uh, the Sea of Galilee and the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And please welcome Zoya. She's going to read for us. And um, Anne-Marie is motioning me. The children, if you would like to, children, you may go back to the tables uh, provided back there, all kinds of fun activities for you to do. You want to go? Okay, go ahead. Do it. All right, let me pray. God, thank you for another Sunday. Thank you for the opportunity to be together, to experience the presence of the risen Christ in each other this morning. God, compel us to be a people who live the way you created us to live and to truly practice resurrection. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we are on the Sea of Galilee. Let's imagine ourselves 2,000 years ago as one of these disciples, and we're at the Sea of Galilee, and it goes like this. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana, and in Galilee, the the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to catch fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but they caught nothing. Okay, so here, imagine yourself as one of these disciples for a moment. Uh, These disciples have just gone through a very traumatic experience. Uh, They are absolutely overwhelmed. Uh, They are mentally, spiritually, emotionally exhausted, that uh, they have been following Jesus for three years, and, and it has all been building to this point where they believe Jesus will become king and drive out Rome, and they have experienced just a week earlier Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey and the crowds going wild, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King of David, everyone thinking, this is the Messiah, this is the King He will become king. And these disciples, imagine yourself as one of these disciples. You're you're thinking, and we're going to rule in power with Jesus. And we will drive Rome out. And then Gethsemane happens. There's a betrayal. One of your closest friends betrays Jesus. And he's arrested. And then there's this unfair mock trial. And then there's this horrific beating and execution, and everything you've been living for for the last three years is gone. All your hopes and dreams are are just shattered in this moment. 
And then there's been these mysterious encounters with Jesus coming into the locked room, and, and you're just, you, you don't know what the future holds, and you're living in fear of what it could mean for you, and you're just exhausted, and you need a day off. So Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples say, we're, we're going to. Uh, now, I don't think Jesus has a problem with them taking a day off. We're, we're told to rest and be restored and renewed. In fact, Jesus often in the Gospels, we see Jesus go off to a solitary place to rest, to pray, to be restored and renewed. So the issue here isn't that they're taking a day off. I, I think uh, what's interesting and part of the issue is, uh, how many of you remember what Peter and most of the disciples' vocations were before they started following Jesus? Fishing. They, they used to fish right? And uh, there's this great story in Luke 5, just before Peter became a disciple of Jesus. And, and Peter is teaching the crowds, and the crowds are so big, uh, Jesus sees Peter, and he says, hey, I'm going to get in your boat and just push out a little bit into the water. And so they do that. And then Jesus teaches the crowd from the boat. And when he fish, uh, finishes teaching the crowd, he turns to Peter and he says, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Uh, we, we don't know Peter's story prior to this. We don't know what his life has involved. We don't know why he's carrying this sense of guilt and shame around in him that he's a sinful man. But he, he sees Jesus and what Jesus has just done in this teaching and in this miraculous catch of fish, and he, he's just, I, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Go away from me. I'm a sinful man. And, and what we do know, though, is that it's clear Simon is carrying around a lot of shame. And, and it, it's, uh, it, it's potentially just destroying him, destroying his soul, keeping him uh, from living into a, a better way of life. And what's so compelling about this story is Jesus didn't, doesn't even address whatever these issues are for Peter. That Get away from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, I know, because this, this, this. this. No, uh, Jesus simply looks at Peter and he says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Jesus doesn't even pay attention to Peter's past. He says, let's look at the future. Let's look at what you were made for. Let's look at what you were created to do. And I'm telling you, Peter, you were made for more than fishing fish. You were made for fishing people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. 
They left their jobs, they left their nets, they left their boats, they left everything and followed Jesus. And so for three years they've been following Jesus. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. I don't think the issue is taking a day off. I think the issue is Peter is once again living with a lot of shame. And so he goes to what makes him comfortable. He he goes to what makes him feel safe. He goes to what makes him feel secure. Uh, He's like, I I failed. I'm not good at fishing for people. I'm going back to fishing for fish. I'm going back to my old job. I'm going back to my old life. I'm going back to what I know, what I'm comfortable with, what brings me a sense of security. I'm going fishing. And, And so Peter is out fishing with his friends. And then this happens. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Okay, Uh, let's just pay attention to that for a moment. That once again, there is this resurrection story where the people closest to Jesus don't realize it's him. Easter morning, we talked about the story of the couple on the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and his wife walking to Emmaus. Jesus comes up alongside them, and they don't realize it's him, not until the experience of the breaking of the bread. Uh, There's this other resurrection story where Mary Magdalene is in the garden uh, at the tomb of Jesus, and it's empty, and she's crying, and this man comes up to her, and she thinks he's the gardener, doesn't realize it's Jesus. Uh, Little side note. Jesus is indeed the true gardener, isn't he? The one who created and redeems us, the one who causes all things to grow and flourish, the one who tends and cultivates our hearts. Uh, But Mary did not realize it was Jesus. And here are the disciples fishing, and they don't realize it's Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat, and you will find some. Okay. Uh, So just imagine for a moment that what you're really good at is fishing. You know how to fish. It's your vocation. You've done this your whole life. And some dude on the shore tells you how to do it. Like, really? Who, Who do you think you are? This is what we, we know how to fish. Who are you to tell us to throw the nets on the other side? How, how do you think you know how to do this better than We've been out all night fishing, man. We've been throwing the nets on this side and that side. We've been going from this place in the lake to this place in the lake to this place in the lake and throwing our nets back and forth, back and forth. And we've caught nothing. And you're telling us now to just throw our nets on the other side? And one of the disciples must have just said, well, We've been doing it all night. What's one more cast? Let's give it a try. Probably wasn't Thomas. Thomas was probably standing there saying, well, I doubt that's going to work. Uh, but so, someone must have suggested it. So they do. They throw their net on the other side. When they did, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, is it the Lord? It is the Lord. Or it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. Okay. Uh, 
here, again, we, we see this beautiful, fun, quirky, ongoing kind of rivalry between John and Peter. Uh, John's writing this gospel, and so he's letting us know, I'm the one who realized it was Jesus. And, of course, refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved, uh, which he does all through his gospel. Uh, and the, the NIV kind of cleans this up for us here when it says about Peter, for, about his outer garment, for he had taken it off. In the Greek, it says, for he was naked. Uh, so Peter apparently had been fishing all night naked uh, and decides he can swim better with his outer garment on uh, than off. I, there is probably a little theological play here for John referring all the way back to Genesis 3, where this first couple realized they were naked and they were ashamed. And so they covered themselves. And, and here is Peter again, living in shame. And so he covers himself in the presence of Jesus. Uh, and so they're out fishing. They realize it's Jesus. Peter covers himself. Um, I think it's beautiful to see these different pictures of these dis different disciples and what we can learn from them. Because John is like this more contemplative, mystic type disciple. And Peter is this all-in, action, go, go, go type of person. And, and we need both, don't we? We need to engage in the contemplative life, which will compel us to live a life of love and action. And we see this in the picture of John and Peter. And so Peter, he's all in. He jumps in, takes a swim, swims to the shore to greet Jesus. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore about a hundred yards. Yeah, so the other side, I mean, imagine you're the other disciples. Thanks a lot, Peter. Leave us out here to take care of all these fish while you go and swim to Jesus. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals. There, there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back onto the boat, into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but not even the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay. Uh, so now they recognize him. Again, it, it is an experience of the risen Christ that opens their eyes to realizing it is Jesus. Uh, there's this word used, if I can have the next slide, anthracian. Sounds like something out of Star Trek. The anthracians came with a heap of burning coals or something. Uh, anthracian, it, it means a heap of burning coals. It is used only two times in the entire Bible. Once here, where Jesus has this whole fire that he's cooking on. Uh, the other time it is used, and the only other time it is used, is when Peter was in the courtyard when Jesus was being tried. And he warms himself by the anthracian, by the burning coals. Uh, next slide. 
we know that the sense of smell is strongly linked to memories and emotions. I think something happens here for Peter that intensifies his sense of guilt and shame. And it is he smells the burning coals and it immediately takes him back to that night around that coal fire where he is warming himself. And he was asked a question three times. Does anyone remember what the question was? Do you know, aren't you one of his followers? Aren't you one of his disciples? And three times he responds to the question. No, I don't know the man. Peter is living with such deep shame over that night that, that he believes there is nothing left for him to do but to go back to fishing, to go back to that which he knows, that he's comfortable with, that he's secure with, that he has failed at fishing for people, he has failed at following Jesus, and the only thing he can do is go back to the boat, go back to the nets, go back to fishing. Uh, he is living with deep, deep shame. Uh, some thoughts on shame. Shame keeps you from risk. Shame tells you that you can't do it. Shame tells you you're not good enough. Shame tells you you're not smart enough. Shame tells you sit down and stop trying because you don't have your parents' approval. Shame is the voice in your head that says you'll never amount to anything, so don't try. Shame is the voice in your head that keeps reminding you of your past failures rather than your future potential. Uh, Simon Peter is overwhelmed by his past failures rather than what he has been invited into and called into. He believes his failure is so deep, there is no future for him other than going back to the boat, going back to fishing. Uh, next slide. Love, grace, compassion, and empathy are the antidotes to shame. And this is how Jesus enters in, with love, grace, compassion, and empathy. Never a word of judgment, never a word of shame, never a word of, you did this, uh, simply love, grace, compassion, and empathy. Peter is carrying shame. Jesus doesn't put the shame on him. He, he's simply carrying it. But here's the thing. Peter needs to go back into that story, into that night, into his failure in order to come out the other side. And Jesus invites him into that in a really interesting way. Uh, we're, we're all invited into our stories to name the shame, to name the pain, in order to come out the other side into a place where we can live from that which God created us to live from. Uh, Brené Brown, who has done just amazing work on shame and vulnerability, she, she says this, owning our story 
can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. Embracing our vulnerabilities is risky, but not nearly as dangerous as giving up on love and belonging and joy, the experiences that make us the most vulnerable. Only when we are brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. We must confront our stories. We must confront the darkness within us in order to embrace the light that we were created for. And Jesus takes Peter for a walk and invites him into that in a really interesting and unique way by asking Peter a question three times. The last time Peter was by a charcoal fire, he had been asked a question three times. And it was, aren't you one of Jesus' friends? Aren't you one of his followers? And he denied knowing Jesus three times. Now Jesus comes and takes Peter on a walk and asks him a question three times. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Okay. So the way Jesus takes Peter back into the former charcoal fire scene is by asking him a different question and inviting Peter back into his true calling. Uh, Jesus doesn't give Peter a hard time. He doesn't berate him. He doesn't judge him. He simply says, do you love me? And feed my sheep. He is reminding Peter of his first calling. Back in Luke 5, you were fishing for fish. Remember what I invited you into, Peter? To fish for people. And now Jesus is saying, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. Then do what I created you to do. Feed my sheep. Leave the boat and the nets again. And once again, follow me. This is the gift of deep, deep grace. Peter feels shame. I am no longer worthy. In Luke 5, I am not worthy. Now, John 21, I am no longer worthy to do that which you invited me to do, Jesus. I have failed you. And so I'm going back to what I know. And and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You don't get out that easy, pal. Uh, You may have failed me. But that's not the end of your story, Peter. Feed my sheep. Do what I invited you to do. If you love me, live from that which is deepest within you. Do that which you know deep down you are compelled to do. This isn't feed my sheep out of duty and obligation. This is feed my sheep because you were made for this, man. This is what you were made to do. So do what you were made to do. Uh, when, When Jesus says, do you love me, 
more than these. But what are the these? Some people think it's the other disciples. Do you think, do we really think that Jesus is setting up a competition here? Especially after disciples had been arguing over uh, who was the greatest in the kingdom and who would sit on Jesus' right and left in the kingdom. And Jesus is like, you guys just don't get it. Uh, It has nothing to do, Jesus is not setting up a competition. He's not trying to ask Peter, do you love me more than the other disciples? When Jesus says, do you love me more than these? I think he's pointing at the fish, which John is very interested to let us know that it was 153 fish, and they're big. They're large fish. We're cashing in today. Peter, do you you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than what will make you secure? Your fishing business. Do you love me more than what makes you feel safe? Which, by the way, when you read through the four Gospels, any time the disciples are fishing, Their nets are always empty until Jesus shows up. They never catch anything in the four Gospels without Jesus being around. So, if you think it's your fishing business that's going to make you safe, just so you know, those 153 fish, I'm the one who told you to cast the net on the other side. Uh, Do you love me more than these? Next slide. Jesus doesn't, one back. Jesus doesn't come to us and braid us. He simply comes in love, asking for our love in return. Uh, Jesus invites us into a life of love. Jesus invites us into a love relationship with him and to live from that love toward the world. So, next slide. What are the fish in your life? Jesus simply asks, do you love me more than fill in the blank? What are the fish in your life? What, what are the distractions, maybe, we could say, that, that pull you away? Because there's a difference between... Uh, taking a day off or taking a vacation and embracing rest and restoration and shalom. There's a difference between that and escaping and running away and going to that which makes us feel safe and secure on our own. Uh, so what, what are the fish for you? What, what, what are the distractions? What are, what, what's the escape? What's the security? What's the safety net for you? Uh, And Jesus comes and he's just, when when we go there, when we're out at sea fishing, when we, I'm going fishing, I'm going to that which makes me feel safe. Notice this, Jesus is always waiting on shore and he's cooking a meal and and he's there to serve. Uh, Jesus didn't come to set himself up as an earthly king to have other people serve him. He came to serve. And he says as much, often in the Gospels. I came to seek and to save. I came to serve. This is the heart of Jesus. And it's the heart he invites us into. A heart of 
servant love for the sake of the world. So next slide. What are the sheep in your life that God is asking you to tend to? What's the thing uh, that you know you're made for? that God is inviting you to give yourself to in service and love? Uh, who are the sheep? What are the sheep for you in your life? And then one last thought. God is love. And every time fear, shame, isolation, or despair begin to invade the human soul, they are not things that come from God. And so this morning, I want to invite you deeper into your own story, into your own shame. What, what is the shame that you carry? Because it is not from God. God never brings shame upon us. Other people might, and we do it to ourselves, but it's not from God. And, and so Jesus just comes to serve us and to meet us on the shore and take us for a walk and invite us deeper into that pain, deeper into that wound, deeper into that shame and compel us to move through it to a different way of being human. One which gives of ourselves out of love and grace and one that lives from that which is deepest within us which is the love of God that's been implanted within us from the beginning. Uh, Jesus invites us to give of ourselves for the sake of the world, never out of guilt, never out of duty, never out of shame, but because it's been planted within us, it is what we were created for. So who or what are the sheep for you? What has God called you to? What is God re-inviting you into? to live into with grace and love and peace and goodness and beauty. Uh, this morning, as we come and take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, uh, we remember that Jesus took on the shame of the world. Uh, the cross, a symbol of shame, Jesus took it on and bore it and conquered death and came out the other side, living the resurrected life. And we are invited into that resurrected life to practice resurrection right here, right now. God, as we come forward and take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, may we remember that you bore our shame there is no shame we should be living from. Only grace and mercy and love. So God, help us to confront our own shame, our own failures, our own brokenness, and to embrace the glory you invite us into, the resurrected life. God, stir within us. Lead us by your Spirit to live into everything you've created us for. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.